It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Welcome to the National Security Hour on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network on iHeartRadio, where you are going to hear the voices of freedom, the out loud truth, presented by multi and intelligent experts throughout the globe. America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on iHeartRadio Network. You can also listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. You have the best in the class apps available on Apple, Android, and Alexa, where we stream 24-7, and now you can also hear them on the podcast on those same apps. I am your host, Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Singeri, U.S. Army Retired, CEO of the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement, and the host of New Paradigms with Sargis Singeri that can be heard on my own podcast every Monday and also on Wednesdays on Right America Media. My guest today is a uh, member of the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement, and as our listeners have come and uh, heard us before and are used to it. Now I do bring some of the talent that helps uh, strengthen the Near East Center. And uh, today I have Ron Reese, a good friend and the uh, Director of Technical Analysis and Special Projects for the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement, coming to us directly from Jakarta, Indonesia. Ron is a former Army Intelligent and Human Counterintelligence Soldier who enjoys connecting the dots of information, what we would call in the service link analysis. Ron was a Iraq survey group analysis, a counterterrorism analyst, ta- uh, task force J2, X, and also in civilian life, equity trader. Uh, Ron was able to initially connect the dots on May 30th, 2020 between Dr. Zelenko's protocol and a top U.S. virologist, Ralph Barrick. But today, uh, before we speak about uh, what is happening with the possible future pandemic and China working on four new strains of the uh, uh, Wuhan virus, uh, we are going to initially look at uh, what is happening within the markets and how does that affect us uh, internationally. Uh, Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sargas. I appreciate you having me on again. Always a pleasure. Ron, um, as you heard, the uh, Fed Chairman uh, Powell uh, yesterday uh, uh, did discuss the fact that the Fed was not going to cut back any uh, interest rates. Of course, the markets that are always looking into the future react negatively because they thought there would be at least a cut coming in uh, March. And one of the key pieces he spoke about was the fact that he hasn't seen enough indicators. Uh, there have been indicators, as he said, but not enough indicators uh, to show that uh, we are able to at least do something about the uh, rising uh, uh, inflation. And uh, the fact that uh, he needed to see more indicators and uh, possibly looking at uh, maybe in the future or on May, June, uh, possibly looking at maybe at least uh, at at the max, not minimum, three cuts this year if that happens. 
Uh, we're looking at an election year, and this would be the first time in an election year you're going to be seeing an easing maybe in the uh, by the Fed to be able to stabilize where U.S. is going to be. What is your take uh, as to what is happening? How is that going to affect our elections? And also, how is that affecting what China and Europe are trying to do currently? Um, it's a very multifaceted question from my uh, my perspective. I think, for one, the, one of the biggest problems is that in response to the uh, pandemic, we uh, generated $6 trillion plus of deficit spending and issued a huge number of treasuries. Um, and that created inflation. Uh, and so the Fed was late to the party when it came to raising rates in anticipation of this. And you're starting to see this inflation um, continuing to present itself. And inflation is, look at housing, look at food. Has anyone seen their house prices go down yet? Uh, they're saying mortgage rates are going down now, and oh, it's a good time to buy a house. I'm not buying it. Um, and food prices certainly have not gone down from what I'm seeing there, uh, even though I'm in Indonesia. So we really have to see a reset on that. And I think that he has to break something. There's never been... Uh, Jerome Powell has touted the idea of a soft landing, uh, and so is Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. But there's no history ever of a soft landing uh, when you go into a recession. So you pretty much have to break something to generate the impetus to lower rates. And given what's happening around the world right now, there's no other economy out there that is as strong as the United States economy. So certainly with what's happening in China, there's a fear that if we do break something or create the uh, impression that we're going to lower rates and that the economy has to have some kind of life support, that it may exacerbate what's going on around the globe. You're correct on that. And um, I have to tell you that um, I think he somewhat walked away from the soft landing uh, possibility. Um, of course, you know, he has to choose his words carefully because you never know what happens with the market. It can spiral into a free friend. Z. And uh, uh, one piece that you could look at is the fact that uh, Europe uh, hit somewhat of a recession. And, uh, you, you know, folks would say that is in a recession. Uh, China, of course, is on the brink of collapse through its markets. Uh, so uh, the want and desire to stay in the U.S. market might be uh, uh, not so much uh, the U.S. itself and the market. Uh, it might be the effects of what's happening in Europe and what is happening with China that uh, has an investor go, well, I don't want to buy, but I don't want to sell either. Um, I don't know where uh, the uh, euro is going to be, where the U.S. dollar is going to be. And uh, we know that there's a, a move by uh, Xi, uh, and I know that both you and me were looking very carefully on the elections that took place in Taiwan. Uh, with uh, with everything that is moving globally, uh, with um, uh, India having a presidential election, 
uh, us having a presidential election here where Trump is looking better in the polls, um, what do you think is going to be the outcome of and the effects on the euro and the dollar and what China is going to do um, if we stay the course that we are with the Fed sometime until May to June? Um, good question. And, and uh, when we're dealing with the dollar, the dollar is the global reserve currency. Uh, in fact, actually, the euro dollar is the global reserve currency. All commodities, transactions, uh, oil, grain, copper, all of it's transacted in U.S. dollar denominated euro dollars, they call it. Those are all the dollars that are created outside of the Federal Reserve System. And nobody really has a handle on how many there are. Uh, so do I, I, I think that the dollar is the cleanest dirty shirt in the financial clothes basket. Every other currency uh, is effectively a derivative of the U.S. dollar financial system. Everything pegs to it or relates to it. Um uh, and one of the things I've been watching, as you might recall, is I believe there's going to be a devaluation in the Chinese yuan. Uh, and I think it's becoming more and more apparent. And I see it going from currently around 718 to the dollar, going to at least 8 to 825 yuan to the dollar, if not lower. And given the situation in China where they're just collapsing economically, financially, uh, I just saw something where uh, report where something like 2,000 low-level regional Chinese banks had to be uh, merged together. And that represented, oh, I hope I'm not getting this wrong, but I believe it was like $6 trillion worth of asset value. You don't merge banks unless uh, there's a problem. You're taking small banks and merging them into larger ones. So folding them together. That means there's a banking crisis over there. Uh, and when we look at collateral, you know, if, if somebody goes and buys a house, they get a mortgage. What is the collateral for that mortgage? It's a house. So are banks going to be willing to risk extending mortgage loans when the underlying collateral is losing value? Um, and until it continues, until it stops losing value, uh, that the financial system trend is going to just be devastated. I don't see how they can control it. And that's similar to what's happening in America. We have office space, commercial real estate, known as CRE, uh, losing collateral value. So uh, hotels, um, office buildings, apartment buildings. I wouldn't say apartment buildings. Maybe I'm misspeaking there. But certainly in the office building sector. Uh, the collateral value underlying the loans that were extended is going to come back to haunt every one of these regional banks that were heavily involved in it. So, well, one thing uh, that is good uh, when you say that they're merging, uh, a lot of the work that uh, China, as a leader of the Shanghai Corporation Organization, does on behalf of the countries that are signatorials to it. Um, two of which were charged under still somewhat under sanctions. Uh, I think Russia has more sanctions against it than Iran does at this time. Uh, but uh, when they have to move anything, 
and it comes especially in the energy sector. They move it through uh, front companies inside of front companies inside of those Chinese banks, uh, whether it may be through mainline China or banks that are tied, basically um, uh, border banks, as they call them, that are specifically um, out of uh, uh, out of the various different uh, major cities that uh, allow them uh, to still somewhat be tied to the West, as we would say. Um, maybe this will have an effect and uh, will reduce their ability to be able to use those type of banks and those type of businesses to operate uh, and give maybe more of a visibility from our end with the Department of Treasury. I do know that there's uh, at least 38 banks here in the U.S. that are owned by China itself. Uh, can you give us a little bit of an insight as to what does that mean when you have uh, U.S. banks that are owned by China? Well, I think it's a, a lack of reciprocity because U.S. banks cannot own Chinese banks except by maybe a joint venture. We have no reciprocity in this country uh, in that sense to where Chinese companies or, or citizens can come in and buy land in America, but we cannot buy land in China. We have to do it through a joint venture. So uh, I've always had... Uh, a lot of heartburn with that that particular issue. And it's not just China, it's Saudi Arabia and many other countries. So we should have that type of, we should have reciprocity and other those equal relationships. Um, coming in and being able to buy up an American bank or establish an American bank, obviously for foreign exchange purposes, it's, again, I'm, I'm a free trader in that sense, but uh, if they are having access to the global financial network, China is right now having to support the yuan. Uh, they're spending a lot of their reserves in order to support their currency. So I, I don't see anything. Who would want to invest in China at this moment? There's capital flight. Um, so... I think it's going to be it's going to be a question where it's going to be a, a quick collapse and just get it over with, or it's going to be a very slow, measured kick it kick the can down the road as much as possible to try to mitigate the social and financial upheaval. Uh, but the longer they wait to clean out the dirty laundry and the dirty garbage, the later it's going to take for them to start rebuilding. But when you look demographically at China as well. Their one-child policy has devastated their economy. There's no demand. And there's going to be a lot of liabilities on these young men and women to take care of their parents in their old age. So um, I personally kind of think this might be one of the reasons they're encouraging migration. We see it here in Indonesia where a lot of mainland Chinese are moving here. You're seeing it across the southern border of the U.S., Obviously, it has an ulterior motive of uh, in placing CCP loyal, indoctrinated individuals uh, into rival economies uh, and spreading their influence. But it also takes the burden off of the Chinese government to care for these people or to provide jobs for them. They go out and compete for jobs in other economies, which they are certainly doing here in Indonesia. And I'm I'm married into a Chinese Indonesian family and. Uh, my brother-in-law rants and raves about all the mainland Chinese 
that are coming to Indonesia and taking Indonesian jobs. So it's going to be a global global thing. We're going into a global synchronized recession, and China's the anchor that's going to drag us all down. That's that's my overall fundamental belief. And I think we see it. It's just a matter of how long it's going to take and, and how long it keeps getting dragged out. So oh, that's uh, actually well. That's outstanding. We we're gonna keep it on that uh, for this segment. Um, I do know we're gonna come back and discuss what happened in uh, 2019 and kind of our transition into looking really more deeper in China and how it uses its uh, global reach to be able to stabilize its economies. Uh, but uh, again, for our listeners out there, uh, my. Uh, Guest today is uh, Ron Reese, Director of Technical Analysis and Special Projects for the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement, coming to us from Jakarta, Indonesia. I do want to remind our audiences again that America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen on our media players from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best-in-class apps available on Apple, Android, and Alexa where we stream 24-7, and now you can also hear them on the podcast on those same apps. We will be back with our second segment for our discussion with Ron Reese. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high-stress, on-the-go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart-healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients, Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health, cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides, with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Welcome back to the National Security Hour on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network on iHeartRadio, where you hear the voices of freedom and the out loud t- truth. I'm your host again, Sargis Sangiri, Lieutenant Colonel, U.S. Army retired, and my guest today is Ron Reese, Director of Technical Analysis Special Projects for the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. Ron, in the uh, first segment, I know you mentioned that uh, China is going to be that anchor that's probably going to drag the uh, global economy into a recession. Either it's going to happen fast as a, with a uh, complete collapse or it's going to happen in a slow fashion. Um, as we both had talked, uh, and I remind my audiences in past uh, interviews, that um, I was in uh, Korea in uh, December of 2019 because we knew something was coming out of China. Uh, trying to do an assessment of Asia 
And uh, of course, uh, when I came back in uh, January of uh, uh, 2020, we pulled a thousand people out of Mission China uh, with the State Department and realizing that uh, there's something really nasty coming out of China. Uh, but prior to that, you and me had talked and you had done an analysis on the Chinese economy, uh, realizing that their economy was basically tanking, uh, even going back to uh, early uh, July, maybe, and uh, middle of August. And uh, lo and behold, uh, with uh, what happened with the leak that most people have said that might uh, came out of a lab, but possibly was accidental, uh, their economy was able to reset itself. Uh, what was your perspective, and why do you think that uh, that reset uh, created a possible pattern that uh, China may want to use again? Uh, I know that they're working now on four new strands of COVID, but these are deadly, of course, in the laboratory mice in uh, almost 100% of the cases. Um what happened 2019 with their economy? How did uh, what happened with the uh, virus that hit us globally reset their economy? And uh, is it possible that that pattern still exists or maybe that's not going to be possible anymore given the world reaction? Um, I think that what overall what we're looking at since 2007, uh, we have engaged in a lot of financial engineering around the world, not just uh, in the U.S., but in China and elsewhere. Uh, I, I liken the economy to a tire that's got a leak in it, and you've got a pump attached to it. And that leaking air is money that's either defaulting or um, is being paid off. And so you have to pump more air in that tire to keep the pressure at a certain level. That's the Federal Reserve's job. That's the commercial banking system's job. Uh, and when it starts to deflate faster than you can pressurize it, then you can create um, a domino effect. You can create a larger hole because of the amount of debt and default, asset depreciation, collateral collapsing in value. It's a domino effect that occurs. So I think, you know, as we had discussed before, why 2019 in a pandemic? Um, the global economy was really starting to have financial problems in, in July 2019. Uh, Fed was starting to raise rates. Uh, and then suddenly you have event 201 where they have pandemic response preparedness. Um, and then three months later, you've got a global pandemic. And you've got $6 trillion, the biggest stimulus ever uh, initiated within the United States and around the world. It's not just the United States. For instance, I believe here in Indonesia, a country about the size of America, believe it or not, population-wise, they spent seven, uh, 20, $25 billion on COVID-related uh, spending. So you see, one, you see GDP growth. The governments have got to do deficit spending in response. You've got to give out the stimmies, stimulus checks, PPP loans. Many of them are very fraudulent. It doesn't matter. It was all GDP from a statistical side. If you want to create the impression that gross domestic product 
is continuing, spending is spending, regardless of whether it's being generated by the public, the private sector, or by government deficit spending. And this is what we saw. We saw an excuse to initiate and engage a huge amount of deficit spending. I mean, it it seemed like what came out somewhat, if not saved uh, China's ability to uh, uh, reset its economy. Um, unfortunately, of course, a lot of people have died because of COVID. Uh, but uh, do you think that uh, if there's another virus that hits uh, us globally, uh, more likely out of China again, um, that... Uh, the same will be done as far as the GDP spending is concerned? Um, or do you think that uh, we're at a point that uh, politically the nations of the world have somewhat given up on what would be the uh, factors and the uh, uh, spending on uh, particulars that would um, uh, give us uh, maybe a pause uh, to where we're not uh, spending the $6 trillion from the U.S. or the $25 billion from uh, Indonesia? Um, or do you think that the world polities have not learned their lesson from what happened in 2019? Well, I have a slightly different view, as you, you probably know, uh, and it centers a lot of it on the World Economic Forum in Davos. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the last four years, everything I've seen about the pandemic has got the fingers of the WEF involved in it. Uh, for pandemic preparedness, the Great Reset, lockdowns, all of these measures, uh, proposed measures were being generated out of Davos, where the WEF has its headquarters. So I think that this is, it's a multi-tiered thing. It's, it's You want to keep the the economy going i think they know they're doomed anyway it's going to collapse but how long can we keep pushing taxpayer deficit funded uh gdp growth into the pockets of the one percent who own 48 percent of 50 percent of all the wealth on the planet um that they can generate much more profit that way much more uh, more more wealth so yeah and then it gives them a measure of control if i make you afraid people cannot travel people must mask up um and they'll do it because they're afraid and i think with the next pandemic we're we're seeing this uh you know my views i think on previous episodes here or in new paradigms we've discussed what i believe the next pandemic is going to be is h5n1 uh, with a 52% mortality rate. But it's also an RNA virus, just like SARS. And it's just as vulnerable to things like the Zelenko protocol that we spoke about. This is one of the little hidden secrets is they've had the means for providing early treatment and prophylaxis against RNA viruses for at least 14 years. They've had the knowledge. Uh, and it was based upon the research of the Dr. Ralph Barrick who is a gain-of-function expert. So um, I think that they're going to try to do it again. We've heard the WEF talking about disease X and how we must prepare. Uh, And I believe that H5N1 
is already starting to manifest itself in the narrative that's starting to be created. So yeah, I do see a rehash of this. And what will be the response of a virus with 52% or 100% mortality in mice, you know, humanized mice? It's still an RNA virus. It can still be treated the same way as uh, SARS could be could have been treated by early treatment had it been permitted to do so. So, so you're saying even if it kills our lab mice at almost 100, um, percent it's still treatable. Um, uh, I mean, to an extent, to me, that seems like it's something that they're weaponizing. But uh, you still believe it's still treatable, even if it does. And laboratory mice testing, testing show that it can kill them. Uh, I don't. They're not going to test it. They're already preparing things like self-amplifying RNA vaccines that will use viral replicates. It gets complicated in that sense, but uh, replicates is the the fabric, uh, the, the 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 manufacturing plant that the virus brings into the cell with it. And then it starts consuming available resources and starts turning out copies of itself. It's the copy machine. Uh, so if you can interrupt that in any of these RNA, all the RNA viruses use the same RNA-dependent RNA polymerase, RDRP, replicase. Uh, they all use the same. It doesn't change. The only thing that changes in a virus is the binding domain. And that's how traditional vaccines are focused, to try to keep the virus from attaching to the cell or at least identifying those infected cells so our immune system will attack and kill them. But if you could actually go in and disrupt the replicating enzyme early on, you won't have a viral loading. You won't have this huge amount of virus building up in your body, forcing an immune response, an inflammatory immune response that puts you in the hospital. And it's been available for 14 years, and it should be effective against all RNA viruses. Uh, Dr. Zelenko proved, and many other doctors proved, that it works against SARS. It reduces hospitalizations. And it, it provides time for the immune system to build its own natural defense by limiting the amount of viral replication in those early days of an infection. So. Well, as, as we're looking at, of course, entering an election year now here in the United States, I know India is going through an election. Um, uh, I know that we don't know where the war is going to you know, expand uh, as far as uh, the war in uh, Gaza and uh, the region is concerned. Europe's still in flames. Um, what are the likelihood that Asia right now is looking at, given what the China's economy is, for China possibly taking some steps, especially with the fact that the uh, recent elections in Taiwan did not go the way uh, China would like. Um, what are the possibilities if the polls continue showing that uh, the current POTUS, uh, Biden is gonna be out of office, uh, previous uh, POTUS more likely gonna be the Republican nominee, Trump coming in. What are the indicators that you're looking at from the Shanghai Corporation Organization countries that China may take any steps multi-wise, uh, possibly this year in a panic, 
prior to the uh, next president possibly changing out and taking lead in January of next year? It's an interesting question. I have a friend of mine who's a former banker in Indonesia, and he believes in the downfall of America. And yeah, you know, we're going through hard times as well. But the whole entire Chinese economy has depended upon being able to export uh, their cheap products to the West, to Europe and to America. And that's coming to, as that's diminishing as our own economies and our own consumers are losing purchase value. I mean, this entire Christmas that we saw was fueled by credit card and pay now, buy or uh, buy now, pay later loans. And so now that debt is coming due. So people are either going to just not pay it back, keep spending what they have, or they have to pay it back and curtail their, their consumption. That's not going to be good for the U.S. economy. And subsequently, China is going to have less demand for its products. And they're already, you know, on a uh, a, a steep descent, uh, certainly in in the face of what happened with Evergrande's uh, final liquidation orders. And now we have uh, Country Gardens. I just saw an article where they reduced the prices on their property by immediately by 30%. So they've just, they're fire selling their property development to try to generate cash income. They know it's inevitable they're going to collapse. Now, the interesting thing about China is also that the local governments lease out, they have control over the land and how it gets leased out, and they generate their income through leasing arrangements to these developing companies uh, for the property development. And 25% or more of the Chinese economy is tied up in property development. It's their only one asset, and it's an illiquid asset. So you can't just immediately go out and sell it. So... The more properties that come on the market, the, the more the prices go down. They've overbuilt, over, they've got a huge amount of overcapacity, and they have a declining population because of the one-child policy. And even if kids, you know, they start having three or four uh, kids per family now, it's going to take 20 years before that demand returns because they're not going to import demand. They're not going to bring in migrants uh, or foreigners to live in China to occupy those apartments. So uh, one of the things I see with, the, uh, again, I'm foreseeing the one will have to be devalued because it'll become far too expensive for China to spend its reduced foreign reserves on supporting the one. And when the one collapses, um, it'll take every other currency down with it in, e in Asia because you can't compete. If now Chinese currency is cheaper than say Singapore or Malaysia or Indonesia's rupiah, it, it doesn't matter. They have to drop the value of their currency in order to compete and maintain that ratio with the Chinese yuan. So that foresees, in my view, um, increased U.S. dollar strength, which is not good for us either. It's good for the consumer, but it's not good for corporate profits uh, from what I, what I see. And every time the dollar has gone up, it seems to have been negative for the U.S. markets. So um, I, how it all plays out, I mean, I can I could say I could see another potential Great Depression scenario. It might be uh, 
uh, I wouldn't say it's a bit of an exaggeration given what's going on in China. China is a huge economy and their draw upon global commodities uh, impacts everything going on in, around the world. So, so from what you're saying, it seems like uh, the way you laid out the uh, or the um, Chinese economy is that um, you know sometimes wars do help build economies. In this case, uh, it doesn't seem like it's gonna allow them to be able to uh, come out victorious at the end. Um, if anything, it may lead to the um, possible collapse of the Chinese Communist Party. Who knows? Um, um how how the world events are gonna shape out, but uh um it doesn't seem based on where the economy is that they're in a position that a uh, invasion of Taiwan is uh, really gonna be able to help build their capacity, especially if they lose a war uh against the US uh, and against uh, the allies that uh will not allow it uh, hopefully we would say to take um, Taiwan. Uh, Ron, I'll come back. I want to. I want you know have your thoughts on what I just said uh, on the next segment. Um, but uh, uh, on the third segment, we're going to look at uh, where we're going to be possibly, um, especially if there's a change in elections and how would you approach um, the reset, uh, both economically and politically, uh, within the region. I want our audiences to. Uh, uh, remember that uh, all my shows go to podcast uh, typically one or two days after the broadcast is heard on talk radio. You can also hear them on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, and iHeart product or podcast, and many more. Be sure to uh, subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for me. We will be back with Ron Reese, the uh, Director of Technical Analysis and Special Projects for the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. Who's got time for a nasal invasion messing up your lifestyle? Crush those nasties before they become a problem. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order with the coupon code OUTLOUD, you'll receive 20% off the entire purchase. Go to americaoutloud.shop. That's americaoutloud.shop and use coupon code OUTLOUD. Use Cofix RX because it works. Nurses Out Loud Talk Radio want to introduce you to ASEA Redox Cell Signaling Molecules. It is more than just a wonderful natural product. Redox molecules are native to the human body. Redox molecules enable your body to turn on its inner doctor so your body can heal itself the way it did naturally when you were young. Check out AmericaOutloud.shop. Look for ASEA cell signaling molecules liquid supplement and check out nurse michelle's recent favorite asia product renew 28 revitalizing redox gel because this gel helped get me through some significant muscular pain during my healing process following a recent canoeing accident when i broke my hip give it a try for your aches and pains and let nurses out loud hear how your health has improved Expert opinions, honest debate, and in-depth investigations are what you've come to expect from AmericaOutloud.news. We don't shy away from speaking the truth boldly and plainly. All that's missing is the propaganda that has infected legacy and social media. Get the best of down and dirty, wholesome 
American Speak. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to the National Security Hour on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network on iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Sargasson Gear, U.S. Army retired. With my guest, Ron Reese, who is the Director of Technical Analysis and Special Projects for my company, the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. Ron is also a former Army Intel human counterintelligence soldier uh, who really does enjoy connecting the dots, and that was what he has been able to do over the past couple of segments for us when it comes to connecting dots of information or what we would call uh, link analysis in the military. Um, Ron was a Iraq survey group analyst, a counterterrorism analyst with Task Force J2X uh, and in civilian life and equity tra- trader. And uh, Ron was the gentleman who on May 30th, 2020 was able to uh, connect the dots between Dr. Zelenko's protocol and the top U.S. virologist, Ralph Barrick. Um, Ron, I want to go back to the kind of the last statement I made in the, in the second segment um, that it's more likely that a war would be devastating, possibly more for China than would reset his economy or even the global economy for both the U.S. and China. Uh, especially when it comes to Taiwan, um, what is you, what are your thoughts, and uh, um, what do you think is more likely to happen, given the fact that you're in uh, in uh, Jakarta, Indonesia, and you have a pretty good perspective as far as how Asia is looking at this whole possible future conflict? Well. With regard to China facing all of the problems that they have right now with their young people, unemployment, social unrest, they're they're really looking, I, I believe, as our friend Jennifer Zhang has also stated, that you have rival groups within the Communist Party. You've got the young princes uh, who are descendants of the original communist elite, and they have formed their own little fiefdoms within China. And so there are competing interests. And if Xi is not able to provide the, uh, the social contract with the people, good, you're oppressed, but we will make your life better down the road. So bear the hardship. Uh, that's the social contract in China, and it's falling apart. Uh, they're going to be worse than they were previously where people's wealth is utterly wiped out because of the property uh, value collapse. And that's going to go on into the banking system. People's savings are going to be, there's going to be a run on Japan or on Chinese banks uh, at some point. And obviously the Chinese government will just stop it. They'll shut the banks down. People will not have any money left. So, how that spills over into Asia, I don't know. There's so much of the economy uh, in this area when it comes to raw materials that are dependent upon exporting to China for product value enhancement to then be sold 
to the West. So uh, if you do not have a sound banking system in China or anywhere, you cannot do business. You have to be able to get business operation loans. And if the banks do not have the ability to do that, you're going to see the uh, decline of further business activity. I don't, it's going to take a huge financial stimulus and China's already done that. Where do they get the capital? Just print? Yeah, they can just print. They control the value of the yuan as it is. So they, they will have to print a massive amount of yuan. And that's going to, the, the currency should collapse. How, how would that, it's, it's a, how would that affect uh, U.S. here, uh, market-wise? Um, I mean, if you're thinking about the worst-case scenario, there's a run on Chinese banks. How is that translating per hour per day for U.S. market? Uh, what do they call it, the butterfly effect? You know, things ripple across the the oceans. It's going to impact us. We were impacted by offshoring a lot of our manufacturing to cheap producers like China. So as the Chinese economy collapses, cannot get access to capital, uh, it's very possible that we see increased inflation in the U.S. And I think that's one of the peers. Also talking about the, uh, you know, the impending impression that we're looking at a, a, a Middle East war, what will that do for energy prices? Rising enterprises, energy prices act as a damper on economic activity. Cheap energy will provide that economic growth that a country requires. Uh, cheap labor will do the same. What does it cost to produce an end item and a good a service? So I think that's one of the things Powell's worried about. He has to keep rates up uh, in order to offset that potential inflation that could be generated by a Middle East war and, you know, a large increase in oil prices. So, but overall, I believe the Fed has to wait for something to break. And they have to have an excuse to be able to go in and lower rates. And that's another financial crisis. That's really what it's going to come down to. Uh we may see rates going to zero or potentially sub-zero, uh, you know, NERP, they call it. So uh, negative interest rate policies. And if that's happening in the U.S., it's going to be even worse um, in other countries. Either that or they have to let their currencies inflate and just appreciate. So, But then that creates inflation within their own economies. Consumer goods cost more. Their people make less. Uh, so it's, there's a, a lot of moving parts in all of this. And I think that this is one of the reasons Jerome Powell is just going to let things, uh, collapse and break because it's easier to build something up after it's already broken than it is to try to keep putting patches over every little leak that you have or financial crisis. Uh, but the banking system in the U S is on life support, which means the banking system in much of the world is on life support as well. So, you know, he was asked yesterday whether or not he'd be planning on staying on past his term. I mean, if uh, you have um, uh, Trump come in and he's in president in January of 2019, 
uh, 2019, I'm going back in time, uh, 2025. Um, I mean, that's something you can consider, but uh, um, with everything that is happening, and let's say there's a slow uh, possible uh, collapse uh, of the global economy with China weighing us down, um, I know that uh, President Trump has mentioned that what he initially did um, with sanctions against certain uh, areas of the Chinese market uh, that helped bring them to the negotiation tables. Um, is there anything there that he may uh, decide to do on um, when he comes back into the office? It's more likely based on what the polling is saying. We don't know what's going to happen, but that's what it's indicating. What would be the um, effects of those sanctions, you think, and do you think that that might still, regardless of who the POTUS is, in this case, if it's Trump with a new round of sanctions against China, that possibly would uh, accelerate that collapse uh, for um, the uh, global economy? Yeah. Um, personally, with regard to Trump uh, and and China, I don't think China, I don't think Trump really would care less in his mind if China collapsed, um, that it would only benefit long-term uh, the United States. It would weaken the rivalries uh, and the military threats. But on the other hand, think of it like China. You've got your back to the wall. Uh, you're in a corner. You're getting ready to be crushed. You're facing internal dissent. What do you do? You go to war. Um, you look for some type of deflection. Uh, this is similar to what Hitler had to face within in 1939 Germany. Uh, he had to increase the economy. He had to take the country to war. He had to get access to foreign resources that he could conquer to be able to continue to grow his economy. So I think the same thing you could see with China. They've got they still have a lot of people, even though the uh, the population is decreasing. They can raise an army of several million people overnight. Um, so that's something I don't think we're able to do anymore. Uh, looking in the U.S., certainly uh, I wouldn't say they're high quality, but to throw a mass of men at an island and take over islands and disrupt global trade, they have that ability to do that and cut off uh, oil trade. Of course, they're dependent on oil as well from the Middle East. So we have that ability to do that uh, to where we choke them off of oil. Um, that maybe that will create the impetus to get more oil from Russia. But they have their heartburn, their problems with that as well. So uh, overall, I just I think we're going into a synchronized global recession. And it's going to be they need something to uh, economic defibrillators to be able to get the heart jumping again, okay, until it stops one more time. And maybe that's what the pandemic was about. It was an economic defibrillator that provided the impetus for all this extra money to be spent, um, and it also gave control over populations. And the next one will be the same, and it may be in conjunction with war. So they're able to achieve absolute global control. Uh, this is going to be the biggest challenge I think that Trump would face, being the, the presuming, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, occupant of the White House. Uh, 
So I hope, certainly hope it's not Kamala Harris. That's all I can say. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, you could have your own personal opinion. Uh, we won't take that away from you. Everybody who walks in has a vote. So, um, you know, who knows? Uh, who knows how the whole thing is going to turn out? But we do know that uh, the biggest part, it seems like the uh, uh, Albatross is still China and its economy. Um, and how are you going to negotiate that in a four-year uh, cycle with a new president? Uh, ensuring that... Uh, you know, maybe slowly you could uh, basically take the tooth out of the dragon, as I've said in the past, uh, defang the Chinese Communist Party, but not put in a position where it uh, lashes back, especially being the lead for the uh, Shanghai Corporation Organization. Who knows? But I hope that the uh, Western nations don't come out to try to rescue China's economy, um, believing that that's the only way that you could rescue uh the globe from a recession. Um, if you were a betting man, uh, regardless of the administration, uh, which way do you think that businesses would like to hedge? Helping China protect its economy, uh, even though you're protecting really a brutal uh, Chinese uh, Communist Party dictatorship, or maybe saying we need to finally end this and i i don't know what the perspective of the wef would be in this particular case well as a businessman yourself would you invest money into a place where there's no rule of law uh it's difficult to get money out of china um there already is capital flight from the the actual chinese people themselves trying to get out uh no, I've never understood why we would invest in a country like that that doesn't have a rule of law. So the question is, what's going to what is going to replace it? Do we see decentralization of the supply chain? Um, I wonder about that here in Indonesia. Uh, there is a large quantity of uh, hardworking individuals, uh, and so it's it's very possible you could see it here and in the philippines malaysia thailand uh india especially india has the potential uh for at least replacing a lot of the supply chain that will come out of china because everybody hoped that china would change china would follow jing uh, uh deng xiaoping's promise that we will moderate and integrate into the global economy and they haven't done it uh, they just became even more repressive uh, and making it more difficult for foreign capital to find profit, let alone find an exit strategy. So uh, I think that's what we see in China. And who's gonna, who are going to be the winners and who's going to be the losers it will be the question. Uh, but in the meantime, the American economy is going to face serious, serious problems. But will that cause the dollar to be overthrown? Not yet. I don't see that happening yet. It's potential, but I don't see it happening. I see a lot of other currencies collapsing before the dollar does. Yeah, well, you know, from your mouth to God's ears, let's hope. Um, but uh, for our viewers out there, again, uh, this has been a wonderful uh, discussion with Ron Reese, Director of uh, Technical Analysis Special Projects for the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. I do want to remind our audience out there to be sure to make America outlaw.com 
your daily stop for the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the videos, so that we can help secure America's future. You can also find out more about my show and get all of the latest podcasts if you go to the menu navigation bar at americaoutloud.com under our uh, show schedule, you will be in the know. Ron, uh, I'll give you the closing uh, comments uh, with a minute or so left uh, before we wrap up the show. I think all we can say is the Chinese curse. May we live in interesting times. That is uh, that is upon us. And I, I really worry about the future we're leaving our children. I'll be very honest with that. But I always feel there's some hope if we get the proper information out. Well, there's old Middle Eastern saying uh, when a man has lost everything, the only thing he has is hope. So um, let's uh, all hope, but at the same time, take some direct action to make sure we influence the path we're on. Uh, with that said, much appreciated, Ron, for being on the show. Again, uh, Ron, Director of the Technical Analysis and Special Projects for the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. Uh, I do want to thank uh, you for joining us on this mission, and I do want to thank specifically our audiences uh, or listeners for joining the National Security Hour, which is a tip of the spear and the epic battle to defend the United States of America with liberty and justice for all. God bless you all, and we will see you again, and we will have Ron come back again to see where we are, hopefully sometime in the middle of the year depending on what the Fed has decided to do. God bless you all.